0: The world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government.
1: The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying only on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history,
2: suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The
1: kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States
2: is not more special than someone born in Mexico.
1: Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. regarded our planet with envious eyes.
0: Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half.
2: And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything.
1: Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes.
2: Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings Radio. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email us, as always, rdgable at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media, facebook.com forward slash the secret Teachings, and on Twitter at tst underscore underscore radio. Our website is www.thesecretteachings.info. On the website, you'll find our full list of shows, Every episode of the Secret Teachings. Plus, if you subscribe to the full archive without all those monetized advertisements, you'll get access to the montages, digital copies of my books, early access to the show Monday through Friday, and a private RSS feed. Just visit www.thesecretteachings.info to subscribe today. When you subscribe or when you buy one of my books separately, you support the Secret Teachings and you keep us on air Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific Time, U.S., right after Ground Zero and Clyde Lewis. The most reliable way to listen to the show, for those of you who might be having trouble on other platforms, is groundzero.radio. That's groundzero.radio. There's also the Aftermath app and a bunch of others. There are some technical glitches here or there that are still being sorted out, and I apologize for that. But otherwise, again, groundzero.radio is the best way to listen to The Secret Teachings right after Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis Monday through Friday. Plus, throughout the day, the show will replay sort of randomly whatever the uh, the server picks up. I, I assume that's how it works. So, officially this morning, the United States of America has entered into a recession. And uh, coupled with the, well, apparent bad news from last night, we discussed cannibalism and blood drinking being normalized and even romanticized in the name of social trends you know people used to be cannibals for at least some form of justifiable reason one tribe would eat uh, the relative of another tribe to preserve their body and in, in warmth in the afterlife as opposed to letting them rot in the cold ground or people would eat other people because of famines and you know like in the Case of China in the 1960s under the communist famine there, but now cannibalism is just kind of uh, it's a trendy thing. It's cool to be a cannibal. It's cool to be a zombie, to be a vampire. If you want to play Pandemic or play politics, I mean, everything's just a big game, right? Everything's a big game, and you know, it's 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 sort of a very unfortunate and unique thing nowadays to turn on any form of entertainment. And not be bombarded by these incessant and compulsive focuses on whatever the topic of the day is. And it's nice when you can sit down and watch a movie or a TV show, a documentary. You go to the movie and you see something that isn't trying to sell you an idea. I mean, maybe... It is an analogy for something else. maybe it's a it relates to something topical or cultural, but it's nice to see something that that isn't cramming politically correct or incorrect views down your throat and and even if it might have a, a hint of that, it's nice to see something that's sort of a, a unique or different idea and I don't want to spoil anything for you, so I will warn you that there may be you may perceive that some stuff on tonight's show might might be a spoiler Um, but I wanted to talk with you a little bit about the Jordan Peele film Nope and the reason that I would like to discuss it is because I I went to see it over the weekend and I've waited a few days for you know people to kind of catch up and and it's a big movie so I assume a lot of people went to see it uh, the first couple of nights I'm not. I'm not going to spoil it, but you know, you may interpret what I have to say tonight as sort of spoiling it. So it was spoiling it. So just let that be a warning that there might be something here that could be construed as a spoiler. I certainly don't want to do that because uh, I went to see this movie and I it was and wasn't exactly what I expected, and it actually got me thinking uh, during the movie of an old episode of the X Files, and. I pulled that episode of The X-Files when I got home and I watched this scene that it reminded me of and uh, then I pulled an old scientific report that sort of kind of maybe had something to do with the concepts that were presented in the movie Nope. So no spoilers intentionally. I'm going to try to keep this very reserved, but the movie Nope is not what you think it is. It's very Jordan Peel. Some of his stuff I really like. Some of his stuff I don't like at all. I did not like uh probably 50% of his stuff. The other 50% I I, I think is really great. So I thought Nope was okay. I thought uh Kiki Palmer was a great actress in the movie. I thought the acting was pretty good. I thought the writing was okay. I thought the writing could have been a little bit better. Um, it did seem a little bit jumbled. Um, some of the editing I didn't necessarily like, but I think some of the editing is also, I've noticed this in a lot of movies and films, a lot of TV shows. The, like Editing today is increasingly getting choppy and uh, jumpy. And I don't know if that's because that's what people want to see or if that's just my personal bias, but... So I thought there were a few little things here and there. But over, overall, I thought it was a good movie. And I, I think that it's definitely worth going to see. But it's not what you think it is. And the, the promotions for this movie over well the last six months, starting with the Super Bowl, sort of painted this mysterious image of what Nope was going to be about. That it had... Something that might have been alien—you couldn't really tell if it was a was a UFO, a flying saucer, if it was a big spaceship, or if it was something else—and you can see people being pulled off the ground and like a tractor beam, they're being levitated, and that even had some relationship with some of the other commercials that we've we've seen this year, just on television and even during the Super Bowl, a lot of people that were sort of being raptured and, and carried up into the heavens, so the movie itself is a lot different than the initial previews sort of implied. And as we got closer to the release date of the movie, those previews opened up a little bit and they showed you that the premise of the movie basically, and, and again, this is not a spoiler, but if you watch the preview, you'll see it that basically this, this, um, this couple who are descendant from uh, Hollywood royalty, uh, the first, uh, uh, moving picture, uh, black man on a horse, uh, they, they run this farm, and they, they train horses for Hollywood movies. So his brother and sister are out on this farm, and they're trying to capture a video or photograph of UFOs, of a specific unidentified flying object. Now, the one thing I really liked about the movie, I'll, I'll say this, is that the way that this object that they showed in the film moved... Without telling you exactly what it is, because it's not as a it is what you think, but it's not what you think. So maybe if I if I am maybe spoiling something tonight, maybe I can kind of confuse you. So it it still is for those of you who choose to continue to listen, it still is a, a a a surprise when you see the movie. So this object that's flying around, I thought, in my opinion, was very disturbing and very creepy. I thought that the way that they had this object move through the clouds and move around, it implied consciousness and awareness before we really learned exactly what was going on and I thought that that in my opinion was, was a very good portrayal of something mysterious and conscious uh, and alert that is non-human it is extraterrestrial in origin or something to that effect so that part kind of creeped me out the, the flying of the, the, the object and throughout the film, you you start they start to learn, and you as an audience, of course, start to learn that there's something different about this unidentified flying object that when you are abducted by it, you're not really being abducted like Travis Walton, all right You're not really being abducted by an alien spaceship and experimented on it's uh, It's more so. Like this thing is um, a creature that is taking you up into the sky and uh, consuming you, eating you, devouring you. And the, again, spoiler and sort of non-spoiler, there's a mixture of stuff here. So if you don't want to listen to the rest of this, I totally understand tonight. I don't, but I, I want to do this this show before anybody else realizes this and and, <laughs> and beats me to the punch. So... This thing is kind of like it's abducting people but it's also sort of feeding on people which you could say you know the, there is an analogy there between UFO abductions and what the aliens supposedly do to people that are abducted they they play around with their bodies they extract sperm or eggs or they implant um in uh, you know they implant a fetus or they they grow a, a baby in a short period of time in the woman then they extract it and There are supposedly cases of women uh, in the UFO lore that have never had sex. They're virgins, but yet they have signs of having been pregnant. So this kind of an analogy is present, I think, because they're they're consuming humans. They're taking things from humans. They don't always necessarily kill them, though. But in the movie, it's a little bit different. So people are abducted, and they're sort of devoured by this thing, but in in a way that is... I don't know. I thought that it was it was kind of um, in one way unique, especially for your average audience. It's not something that you would typically go to see an alien movie for. And uh, I noticed something that that they really didn't discuss a lot in the film or really reference it, I think, more than once. And that was and this is what I thought was really interesting that sort of tied a lot of paranormal things together. And that is the clicking. You heard a lot of clicking. 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 So, you know, clicking is something that we find with the Sandman. We find clicking with these shadow beings that appear in the corner of our room at night. The Hatman, Smiling Man, Shadow Man, etc. We hear clicking with the Rake, the pale face Demon, the Antichrist, all these different similar creatures, the Clown, the Joker. So, clicking, just like with maybe insects or just like with some animals or birds, clicking can be a, a territorial uh, signal that you're infringing on, on something's territory. It could be even a mating call. It could be a lot of things, but it signifies an animalistic response. And that's probably why when we have these, as we discussed with Anthony Tyler this week on a, on a show called Psychic Pareidolia, it's in the archive at the secretteachings.info, a lot of times, and we talked about Carl Jung as well, a lot of times when people are seeing these unidentified flying objects, a lot of it might be a projection of the subconscious, like when we're seeing these shadow beings, it might be a, sub, a projection of the subconscious. I mean, I'm not the first one to propose this, but I'm saying that it might be a projection of the subconscious in the sense that the subconscious is basically a lower, in, in, in a in a way, it's a lower form of human consciousness relating more to the animal self, because it's more, let's say, it's more instinctual than it is logical, and it expresses itself through these ways that animalistically speaking you you get the clicking from, then that might be why you hear the, the clicking. Or it could have something to do with being, you know, in a, in a slight dream state, suffering or experiencing, you know, I, I think it's kind of suffering because it's a terrifying experience, but suffering or experiencing sleep paralysis, and it's basically the clock clicking next to your bed. So there's a lot of ways that the clicking could be identified. So you have an object in the movie note that flies very strategically. It even hides in the movie. They make a, that make a point to, to focus on the fact that this craft is intentionally hiding in a cloud. It's always, it's been present there for a long time. And then it, uh, it comes out at night to, to do what it does. It's a big, big object. So, it's abducting people, it's taking people up into the sky, kind of like a tractor beam. And there's this clicking sound, click click click, and that again could be a lot of things, the animal subconscious uh, uh mating calls, warning signs, it could be the clicking of your clock next to your bed, but it's part of the it's part of the dark psychology, the dark mythos of these mysterious things. And the one thing I really I really thought was was a was a good scene sort of a scary scene is and I won't say too much about it but when this object is over top of their farmhouse and it's very cinematic it almost reminds me of um what was that that movie I think it was it was it cloverfield one of the cloverfield movies or something one of the promos for it but it had this you know object over this farmhouse and it starts raining down what looks like blood and very cinematic I don't know how you know, practical in a sense it is, but it's it's very cinematic. So that scene was kind of terrifying, at least for it's a good screenshot. It's a good uh, image of what the movie represents. So, but, but this object is is very conscious, or that which controls this object is very conscious. You hear the clicking, it's it's basically feeding or abducting people. and the, it, the whole movie sort of plays around with this idea of being able to tame things that are instinctual. Being able to tame uh, a chimpanzee, be, which is a large part of the movie, actually. Uh, that kind of surprised me, but I understood the, the symbolic analogy to it. And I thought a lot of people that that were, you know, I saw a lot of reviews like, why is there a monkey in this movie? That doesn't make any sense. And it's like, well, that actually makes a lot of sense when you realize what the monkey, what the chimpanzee represented. It represents um, the taming of animals and, and how animals and, and, and instinctual things can be so, so unpredictable that um, today you feel safe, tomorrow you might not feel so safe. That's kind of the danger of life in general. So there's a lot of ways to interpret it, but you, you've got the monkey. And then, of course, I mean, one of the focal points of the, of the film, uh, and, and my fiance uh, Hope, went to see it with me, she grew up riding horses, And when we walked out of the film, she said, I didn't think this movie was going to be more about horses than aliens. (laughs) And I thought to myself for a second, I thought, oh, you're right. It really was focused a lot on horses, not just because they ran a, you know, a horse uh, farm. Essentially, they ran a ranch uh, to make these Hollywood movies with horses, but also because the horse, you know, features prominently sort of like cattle, uh, cattle mutilations in, in the UFO mythos. So. All of that is mixed in, so I think they did a really good job, or Jordan Peele did a good job of mixing in, you know, the abductions, the cattle mutilations, um, the the lights in the sky, the moving object, and then playing around with what the object actually was, and 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 not exactly, it's not exactly something you expect it to be. And there's a scene where you learn that one of these one of these characters has basically a deal, or some form of agreement, with the, this thing. And the, the the idea, the underlying theme of this deal is that this individual is trying to tame nature, just like the chimpanzee, just like the horses, trying to tame nature. And when you, you see that this thing, which is really unpredictable that you can't tame, sort of breaks with the agreement that it had made with with this one character. And these people that are watching it get abducted so the the idea is as you learn throughout the film this thing only abducts you if you look at it and that's a theme that we find in monster movies that's a theme we find in well like the Blair Witch for example we find this even in the Bible that's a that's a biblical concept right the 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 person who looks into the eyes of God or looks into the face of God they, uh, they cannot survive. And so that's, again, that's in Hollywood, but that's also in uh, uh, the Bible. And there's like, I don't know how many dozens of Bible verses uh, about that in Exodus, Psalms, Romans, Revelation. Uh, I know the Exodus one is, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. That's like one of the more famous ones. So that's Exodus 33, by the way. So you think of you think of like the I thought of the Blair Witch. I thought of um, you know the Book of Exodus. So he's got this idea that you can't see this thing and live. If you see it, it comes and takes you. I think that's how the remake of the Blair Witch ended, uh, the more recent one. Because I haven't seen the original for a while, but the the recent one, the newer one, ended like that, where they're they're in the house and it's like you, you she, if you don't look at her, she can't take you. Which is also the same theme. With, um, you know, so you've got the witch, you've got, you know, these d- divine forces in the Bible, God, the face of God, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And then you also have the, um, you have the idea of looking, uh, at other things like, I mean, there's a lot of this in, 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 in Hollywood, uh, a lot of this in mythology, like if, you know, Medusa looks at you, you turn to stone, um, if you look into the eyes of uh, you know, a king or an emperor, that's why you're supposed to bow your head. Otherwise, it's disrespectful and you could be hanged or have your throat slit. So there's like, there's like a territorial animalistic thing to, to that idea. And if you look at it, it comes and it takes you, it abducts you. That's the same idea with Slender Man. It's present in all of these different stories, whether it's the Bible or it's even human history with kings and queens and emperors empresses, etc., or it's the Slender Man, the shadow creatures, or it's the, the aliens, uh, or whatever these craft and these things are. If you look it into the eye, then it will come and and come and take you. So th- this was kind of my my review of the movie Nope, and we're going to look into the details of of what I've researched tonight in the next three segments. So this first segment is is an analysis, and then I, I want you to understand that I'm not going to to spoil the movie any any more than I already have. If 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 uh, you know those of you who have seen it thinks this this is a spoiler. I'm trying to sort of be ambiguous about it, but we're going to look into the details of what I think um, was a really interesting concept and something that actually goes back uh, many decades back into the 1970s. Uh, the idea that flying saucers and unidentified flying objects. Yeah, sure. What Kenneth Arnold saw in the 40s was probably not something that was natural in the sense that it was a a living conscious creature. But since the 1970s, some scientists, authors, and others have proposed that UFOs and that what we consider to be flying saucers are actually insects in very large swarms, and when passing through an electric field, they emit a glow. And each individual emits a glow, but when you have thousands or millions, it emits this large glow, and they move very quickly, kind of erratically, and I'm not saying all of these objects in the sky we see we can't identify are insects, but some of them might be. In fact, some of them certainly probably are, and this has been studied since the 1970s. Um, and this is, this is sort of, they're not insects, but it's sort of a theme present in the movie Nope, that not all UFOs are nuts and bolts craft. They're not just big balls of random energy either. They're actually creatures or something to that effect that emit uh, a discharge of electricity like St. Elmo's fire that comes off the points of their, their legs or their antenna, etc., and this gives the, 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 the glow and even the dome shape of some of these things that people have seen for, for decades. It's a fascinating subject. We're going to discuss it in detail tonight on The Secret Teachings. I'm Ryan Gable. Stay with us. The Secret Teachings Radio Show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Facebook.com forward slash
1: the secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore
2: underscore radio to tweet with us.
0: This is David Ike from DavidIcke.com,
2: author of The Phantom Self and The Perception Deception. And you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. From Ground Zero to The Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. You could listen to this.
0: And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence.
2: I hate this channel. Or you could listen to the secret teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it.
0: I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist.
2: That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio.
0: Are you intrigued by
2: Paranormal
0: Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live.
2: are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for joining us. Tonight we're speaking a little bit about the movie Nope before we transition into the larger underlying theme of the broadcast. I wanted to talk about it before anybody else picked it up and discussed it on their show or on YouTube or wherever. I haven't seen it discussed and so I wanted to discuss it with you tonight and get a jump start, get a head start on uh, all of the the reviews and the interpretations of this movie because I thought it was really interesting, and I thought that it focused on some of the basic key elements of UFO lore and UFO mythology and UFO, again, for lack of a better word or uh, term, uh, UFO uh, cases. So in the movie, you have abductions, you have feedings, and you have um, deals that are made with this thing or these creatures or this, this, this object that is basically haunting uh, this farm. So you have abductions and feedings. You have horses present, so you have like cattle mutilations, if you will, uh, horse mutilations. Horses are also uh, commonly mutilated by, by UFOs, or so the stories go. There's also reference, or you could hear it yourself, there's reference to a clicking sound, which can relate to uh, the territorialness of animals or uh, mating calls. It can also be the clock in your room ticking away. You see those shadow creatures and you hear the tick, tick, tock, tock. The idea of looking at the object and being taken by it is something that we see in the Blair Witch. It's something that we hear about in... uh, in the Bible, dozens of Bible verses. Uh, one of the, uh, the 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 famous ones, uh, Exodus thirty three twenty. But he said, "You cannot uh, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You cannot look into my face, for man shall not see me and live." It's uh, the story of Slender Man. It's also just the the story of uh, kings and 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 rulers, uh, aristocracy, not uh, not being able to look at royalty, having to bow your head in. Uh, in service to uh, whoever, whoever is in power, whoever is in charge. It's, it's kind of like um, uh, uh, a gesture of respect. So all of these ideas were present in the film. Abductions, the feedings, the mutilations, the clicking, the looking in the eyes, and also the deals made with these creatures by humans, thinking that they can control uh, these powerful forces of nature which is whether you're, they're aliens or whether they're they're bugs or you know, insectoids or reptiles or whatever they are, uh, they are still a product of nature. You now, we could diverge in that argument a little bit if we're talking about robots and machines and AI, but they're a product of nature. And that was sort of the whole point, at least from what I've read, of, of the film. There's, there's a heavy focus on three major elements. There's a chimpanzee, in a B story, kind of a backstory, there, there there's this horse farm, and then of course there's this this craft or this this uh, alien thing that is haunting these people and, and, and taking property and abducting humans etc. And so this whole this whole theme is basically trying to is focused on trying to control nature, trying to tame a a, a wild primate, trying to tame a, a horse. And likewise, trying to tame what probably is the untameable, you know, very intelligent, very large, uh, otherworldly creatures that um, even simply trying to get a photograph of them is incredibly dangerous. So, I mean, there, there are so many different themes and analogies and elements that I'm sure I'm picking out of the film that Jordan Peele did not intend to to. Pick out of the film, and although I'm not the biggest fan of Jordan Peele, I thought that the movie was actually pretty good. There were a few things I didn't like, but I thought the movie was pretty good, especially considering most of the other trash that's in most of your nearby theaters nowadays. And I thought that that they hit intentionally or otherwise on all of these very important key elements. That people like myself, and I'm sure a lot of you, pick up on. Especially if you're a fan of, of the secret teachings, you pick up on these things. You know, again, the abductions, the clickings, the looking into the eye, and things like that. Uh, and in the movie, they also, you know, they talked about ancient aliens, which I thought was, I thought that was kind of funny. There was a little scene where they were discussing ancient aliens, and there's um, there's a, there a character who tried to make a deal with this this thing, this object. And off, off the top of my head, I didn't write this down in the theater but i i think he called them the viewers which i don't know if that was a tip of the hat to uh the watchers like sitchins work and uh, some of the ancient alien stuff but he called them the viewers basically he he called them the watchers and they they but they didn't really know they didn't really know or explain until later in the movie what this thing really was so i was thinking while i was watching this movie that the whole idea um, was based on uh, sort of a, a different UFO theory. And this is a theory that certainly doesn't account for every UFO um, or UAP theory. It doesn't account for every single sighting, every single case, it doesn't account for what Kenneth Arnold saw. But it does account for a lot of, uh, you know, sightings, especially out in the countryside or in the mountains or in remote regions and uh, forests, et cetera. You know, uh, this I'm not saying this is what, you know, <laughs> happened to Travis Walton. It's just This is a theory that's, that doesn't get a lot of attention. And I think that this theory should be brought back into the the spotlight a little bit. There's an episode of the X-Files. Season 3. Episode 12. Called War of the Coprophages. Or Coprophages. Which is just like a, a creature. Or insect. Something that uh, uh, basically eats feces. Something basically it's just like normal animal behavior. Which is sort of, you know, the idea um, in the, in the Nope movie. So we're dealing with uh, the, the, these are creatures and insects mostly that eat feces, but it's, it's a normal behavior among many animals. Coprophages. It's just kind of this idea of, of what this represents. Now in that episode, which I thought, you know, was one of the more comical episodes. There's a scene where, where Fox Mulder is speaking to this, uh, this woman who is studying insects she's she likes cockroaches and there's all sorts of things that you know she's studying in this uh it's like a USDA um, facility but it's inside of a inside of a house and it's infested with these insects and she's there studying them and Mulder he broke into the house to see what was going on there and he meets this woman and she starts telling him about her theory on the subject of UFOs and she doesn't know, you know what his interest is. And so she explains what, what, she, uh, what she thinks of UFOs because he asks her, what is that cockroach doing in that like, weird electrical setup you have there? And she explains to him that that's part of her theory, which goes back to the 1970s. Um, obviously, she's a fictional character, but the, 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 the actual theory is, is a very scientifically documented reality. That because insects, the, their their body composition, uh, their outside shell and the and the liquid um, in, inside of them, their 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 guts and their you know all that, they under the right conditions produce an electrical discharge that gives them this this glow of light. So, in in scientific terms, they call this Saint Elmo's fire. It's basically a brush discharge of static electricity and it usually discharges in green or a kind of a bluish hue. I think that's more so when you're dealing with nitrogen gases uh, or it's like a red or a purple or kind of a combination like a reddish purple. So St. El- Elmo's fire is a brush discharge of static electricity and it comes off as these different colors. So you might have a small insect, a beetle or something. That gives off this glow. And when they give off this glow, it's obviously quick and it's very small and you're probably not seeing it because the well insects are pretty small. But when you get a swarm of thousands, maybe even millions of insects and under the right environmental conditions, which are certainly not just possible, they're very plausible and highly likely in a thunderstorm, for example, or... Maybe before it storms the the electrical um, the electrical charge in the atmosphere changes, and you get basically a swarm of insects that become illuminated with these these discharges and they get illuminated with this this ball of light could be green, blue, purple, it could change colors as well depending on what gases are in the atmosphere and so in other words, you see a large object that you think is Well, unidentified, and essentially it is, but it's not an object. It's actually comprised of hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of smaller objects. And when they're in close proximity with one another, always instinctually, like birds have a compass in their beak, essentially, they're always trying to get to the center, so they stay in form. And as they try to get to the center, they tend to bulge. At the top. So you get a flying object comprised of hundreds or maybe even up to millions of little objects that emit these discharges of light in different colors. And as they try to get into the center, as they fly, as they migrate, mostly nocturnal insects, there's a bulge. So what you see as a flying saucer. With different colored lights emanating from it. You've seen this in pictures and photographs. That seems to have a dome on top of it. Or something like a dome. Changing colors and flying kind of erratically all over the place. Chances are that's not an alien spaceship. Chances are that's not some top secret U.S. government uh, project. Chances are those are nocturnal insects flying through the air in formation. They create a bulge by the way that they fly and try to get into the center of the the swarm. And because of the conditions in the environment and the conditions of their body, even when they're dead, so long as they aren't totally dried out, their bodies will emit these discharges under the right electrical conditions. And then they'll emit these colors and we think that they're alien spaceships when in fact they're actually swarms of insects, which really begs the question... Sure, our ancestors saw things in the heavens that they could not identify. They called them chariots. They called them shields. They called them boats. Maybe they even called them balls of fire, balls of light. Plenty of records of that. Maybe they weren't seeing comets. Maybe they weren't seeing alien spaceships. Maybe they were seeing insects. Especially because... Unlike today, our ancestors thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago didn't have a very large record of, of, of insects, right? They didn't have a very large record of, of most of the things in nature. So what they saw would be even more alien or more weird. Uh, plus, you know, a lot of people, um, I, guess, I would assume that there are plenty of entomologists specifically, that uh, at least tongue-in-cheek, they they say, well, insects are really, they're basically like aliens. I mean, you have also people that study sea life, uh, marine biologists and others that say octopus and squid are basically aliens because of the way that they... "Quote unquote," evolve or the way that they've developed uh, high intelligence, multiple hearts, multiple brains, defense mechanisms, the the ink, the the tentacles, the ability to hide and camouflage, the the, the propulsion under the water. I mean, these are just like efficient uh, uh, creatures that are highly intelligent. In the UK now, they're actually considered sentient as of a few months ago, and so that kind of that kind of opens up the door for discussion on whether or not when we're thinking of nocturnal insect swarms, um, we should also be thinking about things like octopus under the water. So the insects really become our unidentified flying objects or our UAPs in some cases, not all. And the octopus really become our unidentified submergible objects. We can identify them, but they're submerged alien objects. Basically they're, they're highly intelligent, highly aware, highly conscious Uh, They are, I guess, an evolutionary step in some ways ahead of humans. If you believe in, in standard Darwinian evolution, they are, for all intents and purposes, alien. So you have things in the ocean that are certainly alien. You also have things in the in the atmosphere that are certainly alien, but they're not necessarily little green men or reptilians or insectoids. They might actually be more like insects, but they're not necessarily just giant insectoid creatures. And it's the same thing for for cryptid creatures, you know, like Mothman and Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. The Loch Ness Monster, for example, you know, we have famous photographs of the Loch Ness Monster, uh, which turned out to be a, a fraud. Back in the 1930s, the Daily Mail published a photograph taken by a guy named Robert Kenneth Wilson, a gynecologist, supposedly showed a creature with long neck, small head. The image became known as the surgeon's photograph, right? Some of you probably remember this. But it turned out that this was a hoax and it was created by a disgruntled ex-male employee who was just angry for, for some personal reasons. And so they, um, you know, they admit that this photograph was fake, but there have been a lot of other sightings and, and images of the Loch Ness monster taken. And uh, when our, our late friend Kev Baker of the Kev Baker Show, who unfortunately passed away somewhat recently within, uh, within recent memory, Kev Baker actually, he had lived on Loch. Ness. he lived right basically where the lock lock was um he had been to uh you know all the famous places there in scotland the roslyn chapel and the uh balinskine house uh, and he said a lot of people don't know this and i, I didn't know this either i learned this from Ket baker he, he said that a lot of people don't know this but most of these locks if you go you know under the water you find that they're actually connected through tunnel systems and he said, that's why there's, I mean, I'm sure that there are plenty of uh, researchers and people, I'm sure even you listening, who, who might have known that. But I learned, just giving props to Kev Baker, especially because he's passed away now. Kev Baker, um, he told me that, and I thought, oh, so whatever is in these locks could actually feasibly have a, have a channel to the ocean. It could be something that just by chance got into one of the locks. And he said, yeah, that's kind of one of the, the ideas, that's one of the theories, and so it's not like a singular creature living there, but it's, it's something that is, is very possible that, that could have gotten, gotten into that lock at some point. So although we know the original photograph is fake, just recently, like 48 hours ago, the University of Bath, this was on the 26th of July, the University of Bath found fossils of small plesiosaurs, and a one hundred million year old river system that is now in uh, Morocco's Sahara Desert. Now, this is a big find because these fossils of plesiosaurs suggest that these creatures lived in fresh water, and for those who know about the plesiosaur lochnus or plesiosaur Ness connection, they seem to be one and the same. Some believe, therefore, that these dinosaurs actually have survived until this day, and they are somewhere, you know, in very deep water, kind of like the megalodon shark. And th- th- there are really are these, di- I mean, alligators and crocodiles, even birds. I mean, they're sort of, I'm, I'm sure that uh, professionals that study these things would, would disagree with the simplicity of the statement, but these things are actually quite... Um, quite related to, quote-unquote, dinosaurs. So the University of Bath, these researchers at the University of Bath, they're they're saying that uh, these creatures, the plesiosaurs, lived in fresh water, they fed in fresh water, and they found this uh, fossil, these fossils, alongside of frogs and crocodiles, turtles, fish, and um, another aquatic dinosaur, the spinosaurus. The plesiosaur teeth... They say even show the same heavy wear patterns of the spinosaurus, suggesting they were regularly feeding on the same heavily armored fish that swam in the river system, rather than simply being occasional visitors. In other words, plesiosaurs lived in freshwater, and it's plausible that some of the things that people have seen that they call Loch Ness or sea monsters might have actually been prehistoric dinosaurs like the plesiosaur, a plesiosaur, and that's. I think really fascinating. It also calls into question like the subject of UFOs are UFOs simply nuts and bolts. Are they balls of energy? Could they be all those things that we typically talk about, but could they also be nocturnal swarms of insects that emit charges of, uh, 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 of electricity, uh, what they call brush discharges or St. Elmo's fire, uh, And they create these lights in the sky, and as they swarm and they try to get into the center of the swarm, they create these domes, and we see these lit lit objects with domes that kind of like discs or kind of like um, like a sombrero shape almost. And uh, likewise, couldn't we find uh, aliens under the water, submerged uh, uh, objects, unidentified submerged objects that aren't so much unidentified, but they are very alien in nature, and not just squid or octopus, things that are giant living creatures that we might otherwise mistake. For some kind of alien submarine or some sort of alien uh, underwater vehicle. And that sort of also brings us back to the, the, the movie Nope as well. And I asked the question about these cryptid creatures. We look for monsters. We look for demons. We look for aliens, spaceships. If the UFOs could be insects, if the underwater vehicles could be aquatic life or things that live on land and in the water. Could things like the monsters and the cryptid creatures that we look for, like Loctus monster, actually be plesiosaurs, dinosaurs? This is not my theory. This is just one of the many theories about what the Loctus monster is or various other types of monsters, sea monsters, you know, uh, ocean monsters, that they could actually be dinosaurs or, or some re- very close relation to dinosaurs or things that have survived for... I mean, we don't know how long things, things could survive, I mean, turtles or tortoises can live hundreds of years. It's not impractical to think that there could not be creatures that, maybe dinosaurs, that have survived direct lineage over millions of years. We don't know what's in our oceans. We don't even know what's in in some of the, the forests on this planet, let alone what's in the ocean, let alone what's in the depths of the ocean. So it's very possible. In other words... If UFOs could actually be insects in some cases and underwater anomalies could actually be like those insects, underwater submerged objects, kind of like UFOs in, in that theme, then these monsters encrypted creatures we're looking for could likewise be things that are unidentified, that we we don't really know what they are, but if we got a chance to examine them, we'd realize they are just a branch evolutionary branch or some new new species we don't know about that does live on planet earth that whether they're giant birds you know maybe because mothman was originally identified as a giant bird so whether they're giant birds in the case of mothman or in other cases like the loch ness monster maybe they're prehistoric uh, dinosaurs and that is to me utterly fascinating especially because it provides us with uh, well, in the case of the Loctus Monster, a freshwater take on the creature, but it also provides us with a fresh take on these subjects. Cryptozoology, UFOs, USOs, and what these things could what these things could be outside of the standard classification system that we have for for unexplainable, unidentified uh, things, especially now that with the defense authorization uh, amendments and the bill passed for 2023 and the creation of a, of, a, of a Space National Guard and the removal of congressional oversight, it's in the process of, of, of being uh, removed for military and National Guard activities domestically, but that would also include Space National Guard Soldiers, troops, which sort of suggests that what Dr. Carol Rosen said, as per what Werner von Braun had repeatedly told her, the last card would be the alien card, not Project Bluebeam, but the threat of an alien. Not that aliens aren't real, but just the threat was fake. And I think that's why and I, I sort of, you know, it's, it's, I think it's easy to predict it. Uh, we, we told you years ago, a couple of years ago, when the UFO, UAP report came out from the Pentagon, it would be really vague. And they just say, well, it's a national security thing. We don't really know what these are. And that's precisely what they said. And then you've got Space Force, Space National Guard. They're taking congressional oversight away. So they're kind of painting this canvas with the idea that we need things in space to protect us from threats. And we know that there are threats, but we don't exactly know what they are. So it's the threat of an alien invasion. Not an actual alien invasion. Not that aliens aren't real. But just the threat of it. We uh, discussed this on a show. It's in the archive at the secret Called Close Encounters of the Incurred Kind. If you're interested in hearing our, our full two hour breakdown on that. So again. This is, this is just I think utterly fascinating. What we think is the Loch Ness Monster. Might indeed be the Plesiosaur. Or some version of that. That has survived. So it's not that it's a monster. Or a cryptid mythological creature. It's a real thing. It's still mythological. But it's a real thing. And it, it might exist. And it's just not. It's not a. It's not part of uncharted historical territory. It's actually something very real. That we have historical record of. Likewise. Could UFOs be insects? Could USOs likewise have some relationship to insects? And, and what does all of this mean and, and imply to these subjects? We're going to discuss it when we get back. We're going to read a famous paper from Philip S. Callahan and R.W. Mankin. Insects as unidentified flying objects. I think it's utterly fascinating. And I'm going to share it with you when we come back from break. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teaching. Stay with us.
3: This is Linda Godfrey, author of Monsters Among Us, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
2: Broadcasting from somewhere between heaven, hell, and purgatory, it's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio.
0: Release the Kraken!
2: You could listen to this...
0: And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no evidence... (laughs)
3: Do you like The Secret Teachings and Ryan's passionately balanced approach to subjects from food and health to the entertainment industry and the occult? Then check out Ryan's books, available in PDF and softcover with free shipping in the United States. For a deeper look into artificial intelligence, UFO cults, black goo, and packs made with the devil in the music and entertainment industry, have a look at the technological elixir. Or look for Ryan's masterpiece, Occult Arcana, an encyclopedia of occult knowledge spanning from mythology and science to symbols and sigils, from ritual magic to voodoo, and from comparative religion and psychic abilities to paranormal activity. Just visit thesecretteachings.info.
1: Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell. And you're listening to The Secret Teachings, excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable.
0: Think about your hero when you're at Ground Zero and crawl out to the fall back to me.
2: Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Welcome back to the Secret Teachings Radio Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for tuning in this morning, this afternoon, tonight, whenever and wherever you are joining us from around the world. The secretteachings.info is our website. You can find my books and our subscription archive there. It's pretty simple to subscribe, just go to the website. You'll see a link to do that, follow the instructions. Get in contact with me if you have any questions at rdgable at yahoo.com, but your subscription will give you access to the archive with no monetized ads, our montages, and digital copies of my books, plus early access to the show and a private RSS feed. If you subscribe or buy a book separately or with your subscription, you support us and keep us on air Monday through Friday, five nights a week, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, after Ground Zero and Clyde Lewis. I really appreciate all of you who do support this show and help to keep us on air. This field of radio is incredibly saturated and I feel honored, really I do, being able to bring you the content I bring you five nights a week when uh, you have so many other options, so many other uh, broadcasts to listen to. I appreciate you tuning in to this one, something that we've, uh, we've built without any money. We've built without any advertising or promotion. We've just spread through word of mouth, and uh, you know it'd be nice to make more money. But I'm I'm happy uh, where we are, being uh, around the people that we're around, and uh, those of you who listen to this show. I think uh, we all have a pretty good relationship and uh, a good uh, a good decent ability to to think for ourselves, so that we can address topics controversial or otherwise that otherwise might be might be dismissed because they don't fit into even alternative narratives of what is considered possible or what is plausible, particularly in the world of the paranormal and ufology and cryptozoology and the like. There are so many countless theories as to what certain cryptid creatures might actually be? Are they dinosaurs? Are they monsters? Are they things that we've yet to identify that they exist in our world? We just haven't dissected one. We haven't cataloged one. We haven't categorized one. What are UFOs? Sure, there, there are probably things that, um, that are anything but natural to this planet. Are they monsters, demons, aliens, spaceships, or, or maybe, maybe there's something else? Researchers at the University of Bath have confirmed that the plesiosaur fossils of it have been found in an ancient freshwater river system, giving credence to stories of the Loctus monster as something other than a fictitious mythological creature. And now, with the newest. Alien movie, which I'd recommend going to see the movie. Nope. I would say that it's not it's not the best movie I've ever seen, but it's certainly better than a lot of the other stuff that's in the theaters. And uh, although I had a little bit of an issue with how it was spliced together and I thought that there were a a few tiny things I could be critical of, I thought it was still a good movie. And I thought that the object, the the craft in the movie was uh, was uh, kind of disturbing the way that it moved, and so with this new movie, questions arise once again as to not only what are UFOs and you know how how dangerous it is to um, perhaps pursue obtaining proof, but I think when I watched this movie, as I, I discussed the, the analogies and the metaphors that were present in it, whether they were intentionally put there or not. I think that there are other questions that are not being asked and, of course, answers uh, right or wrong that are not being examined. We'll get to that in a second. But to recap, some of the things in this movie included abductions, feedings of humans to these things, whatever they are or whatever it is, mutilation of animals. Clicking sounds, which are common for mating animals, territorial animals, or the clock in your room. Maybe you're experiencing sleep paralysis and you see that creepy shadowy figure in the corner. The idea of not being able to look into the eye or the eyes of something, like in the Blair Witch or in the book of Exodus in the Bible, 3320 Exodus. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. It's part of the story of Slender Man. It's part of the story of human history bowing to kings and emperors and not being able to look into their faces. So it revolves around this idea of respect and territorialism and authority. And the whole movie features not only an unidentified flying object which becomes identified and they try to understand what it is and try to work uh, uh, with its instinctual um. It's instinctual movements and, and actions. It's a lot different than what you might think it is. And tonight I've, I've told you a little bit, maybe too much in the first segment, but uh, there won't be any additional uh, spoilers, if you will, going forward from here. Uh, if you're just tuning in and you're worried about that. But all these elements were in the film. And uh, there's a reference to, uh, to the viewers, kind of like the watchers of Sitchin and the ancient aliens. They even talk about ancient aliens in the movie. But but the idea in the movie that, that really struck me was when I was watching it, the one thing I thought about was, I thought, there's an episode of The X-Files where they sort of play around with the theme of what's going on in this movie. I pulled the clip of it. I'm going to play it for you. And again, it's not a, there's, not, there's no spoiler here unless you've... Never seen the X-Files, maybe. Um, And in the movie Nope, the the spaceship or the thing, the craft, is not an insect, but there's an interesting connection between what's in the movie Nope and insects as the cause of some UFO sightings. The reason for that is when insects are subjected to a large electrical field, the insects are stimulated in a manner in which they emit visible glows of various colors of light. This is what's called St. Elmo's Fire. You see it on the the steeples of churches and the points of different buildings. It's basically a brush discharge of static electricity that occurs with uh, flashes of red or green or reddish-purple or blue hues. And the idea is insects, mostly nocturnal insects, fly in these big swarms... They go through an electrical field, especially if there's a, a thunderstorm, a lightning storm, and they become illuminated individually. But then collectively, it's this big glowing thing as they're moving instinctually like a bird with a compass in its beak. It knows where to go. Insects know where to go. They tend to even fly some suggest and some have documented in uh, in, a, in a golden mean, a Fibonacci spiral. So that's part of the, the the coding of nature. And so they they try to get into the middle as they're swarming, as they're, as they're, as they're moving, and that creates this, this dome-like shape in the swarm. So you have this dome-like sombrero-type shape that's all lit up and moving erratically and changing colors even depending on the gases in the environment, uh, how much nitrogen is there or whatever. And in the case of, I think they, they, they say, you know, the blue hue is usually attributed to nitrogen. And then you get your UFO. And you get your UFO with lights and feeling the electrical status of the environment around you just like when people can feel the pressure change might make you feel a little bit weird electricity can make us feel loopy woozy dizzy in fact there's a really fantastic book called the invisible rainbow which documents the history of electricity and the history of electrical illness and how it relates to outbreaks of the flu just like the sun relates to outbreaks of the flu on planet Earth. And it's a fascinating history because even the word influenza comes from influenza, influenza, influence of the stars, not comets necessarily, but the sun and electrical discharges around us contribute to us feeling a certain way. So if you have an electrical storm occurring or a thunderstorm or something happening, a high electrical charge in the sky, insects flying through it and you get these lights. Maybe there's an association there as well between why we feel nauseous or woozy or we feel like something's wrong with us when we come into visual contact with some of these otherwise what they would be called craft or some of these insect swarms. It's not the insects. It's not an alien spaceship. It's not aliens. It's a, what it actually is is you're experiencing uh, the the insects are emitting this this brush discharge. You're experiencing the results of of the electrical field changing, and, and to me that is it's utterly fascinating because it sort of allows us to. To examine a subject that for a lot has become very stale and put sort of a a new spin on it. But the thing is, it's not really a new idea because the idea was proposed back in the 1970s by authors and scientists. And there's a guy named Frank B. Salisbury. And Frank B. Salisbury in 1974 published the Utah UFO Display. A Biologist's Report. Now, Frank B. Salisbury was a plant psychologist and director of the plant science department at the University of Utah in 1974. And four years later, in November of 1978, researchers from the USDA published a report called Insects as Unidentified Flying Objects. In the report, Philip S. Callahan and R. W. Mankin, a laboratory technologist from the University of Florida, conducted an experiment on five species of insects with a large electrical field. The experiment found, quote, each of the insects stimulated in this manner emitted visible glows of various colors and black light. They then postulated that the 1965 through 1968 UFO display in Utah was actually a result of nocturnal insects that had infested the area. The idea was also discussed in The X-Files Season 3, Episode 12 where this doctor for the USDA named Bambi is basically playing the archetypical scientist and it's a reference to this, this research back in the 70s. Here is a clip from the X-Files episode 12 season 3.
3: Since an insect's exoskeleton is a dielectric surrounding the conductive medium of its body fluid, when introduced into an electrical field, a brush discharge will result in a colored flare. Well,
1: what is that supposed to prove?
3: Well, it's my theory that UFOs are actually insect swarms. I don't know if you know anything about UFOs, but... All the characteristics of a typical sighting are shared with nocturnal insects swarming through an electrical airfield. The sudden appearance of a color glowing light hovering in the night sky, moving in a non-mechanical manner, possibly humming, creating interference with radio and television signals, then suddenly disappearing.
2: Nocturnal insect swarms. It's, uh, It's fascinating. So when I watched the movie Nope, that's actually what I thought about. And I I don't know if there was any influence from this 1970s research into nocturnal insect swarms. I, I don't think that there necessarily was. But the idea that the UFO is not what we think it is doesn't mean it's not an alien spaceship. But the idea that it's not necessarily what we think it is. Reminds me of this 1978 paper published in Applied Optics, Volume 17, Number 21, November 1st, 1978, by Philip S. Callahan and R. W. Mankin. And they discussed St. Elmo's Fire, a brush discharge of static electricity, typically reddish-purple, green, or bluish hue. Their research was conducted based on an investigation into Frank B. Salisbury's the plant psychologist and director of plant science department at the State University of Utah Salisbury's the UFO display or the Utah UFO display a biologist's report in fact the famous J Allen Hynek, chairman of the astronomy department at Northwestern University wrote a forward for the book and he said quote it is both refreshing and rewarding to find a treatment of the tremendously fascinating subject of unidentified flying objects UFOs by one who has a keen understanding of the scientific method. Salisbury investigated UFO displays that occurred over the town of Roosevelt in the Uinta Basin in northeast Utah. In the book, he quotes witnesses, hundreds of them. There were 80 sightings, 260 witnesses. Page 23 of the Utah UFO display reads as follows, based on, One witness, and then we'll go to a few other witnesses. They ran outside in time to see a large object flat on the bottom with a dome on top hovering over the house, almost appearing to balance on top of the house. This is actually something you see in the movie Nope. It was twice as large as the small house. They heard a humming noise, and lights around the bottom edge of the object were blinking on and off, giving a predominantly red impression, but also appearing at times to be green, and yellow, So you have the humming noise of electricity and you have the blinking on and off of lights that we would sometimes attribute to the blinking glowing lights of a flying saucer. But this sighting was more than likely a swarm of insects. Page 51 of Salisbury's book. So I pulled up and I stopped on top of this hill and watched it. And the son of a gun moved along, stayed on about the same plane, and then it broke the horizon, and there it sat. And gee, we couldn't imagine what it was. And then it hovered there for a minute, and then it went almost straight again. This time, when it finally took off, it just kind of hovered out there, and it seemed to be a little bit smaller this time. But when it left, you could see something fell away from it. So that would explain why objects change in size and why things seem to fall off of these UFOs. In other words, an electrical charge in the environment with insects flying through them caused the insects to light up. Sometimes the insects might break off from the swarm, so pieces of the UFO fall off. Therefore, the object changes size. It shifts kind of erratically in how it's flying, You hear the humming noises. That's also the insects mixed with the humming of perhaps um, uh, uh, the electrical current. And you see the blinking on and off of lights that switch from different colors, which is precisely what happens in the case of a brush discharge of static electricity. Page number 71 of Salisbury's book. So we stopped the car and watched it. And as we watched it, came down real slow, just like it was kind of hovering and getting closer all the time. So it's hovering again. That's another case. It got down, oh, I'd say a quarter mile from the ground, and then a light came out of it and shined off into the heavens, and the light looked like it was spliced. It came out real bright for a ways, and then it was dark, and then there was another stretch. Page 57 of the book, suddenly this big ball of light about 200 yards away started moving toward me. It looked about three yards in diameter, getting bigger, orange in color. The light began to change color to a fluorescent blue and settled directly over the truck. Maybe the insects were attracted to the lights of the truck like insects tend to be. So the objects are moving in these erratic patterns, breaking off, lights flashing. You can hear the humming of the insects, the humming of the electricity, and they're attracted like insects tend to be. To lights of homes or lights of uh, trucks. We have two cases in Salisbury's book in 1974 the UFO or the Utah UFO display, a biologist report talking about objects that are hovering, lights that are blinking on and off, lights that are changing color, and an object that is appearing to, this is a quote from the book, appearing to balance on top of the house. Probably because the lights were on in the house. Likewise, another report. The objects approached the truck. They settled directly over the truck. And maybe because of the highly charged current in the atmosphere, the electricity goes out for these vehicles or perhaps at your home. I mean, it might have to be very intense, but it very well could, could happen. That could really uh, very well be the case. Now, For those of you who listen to this show and you think, well, that doesn't explain all of these UFO sightings. I mean, it doesn't explain why people are taken into spaceships and shown star maps. It doesn't explain what happened to to Betty and Barney Hill or what happened to Travis Walton or what happened to anybody that, that you've heard their name or people maybe you haven't heard their name. And I'm not saying that it does. I'm just saying that objects that fly through electrical fields in large numbers, insect swarms, swarming to the center create the typical hat-like shape, sombrero-like shape of a UFO. Sometimes things break off. Sometimes they get smaller. That's the insects dropping off. Maybe a few died. The, the electrical current could be too intense, and it killed a few of them. I mean, there's a lot of ways to look at this. They're drawn toward light, so the truck or the house, and you can hear a humming noise. Otherwise, there, there isn't any noise. That's, well, that's the UFO, right? It's a humming noise of electricity and of the insects themselves hovering. Lights blinking on and off, changing sizes, pieces falling off, attracted to homes and trucks or cars that are lit up. And if the electrical disturbance is too much, perhaps that alters the, 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 the power at that location. Then the house loses power. The, the truck loses power in this one case that we just read. Plus, electricity makes us feel woozy. So these things are turning off our lights turning off uh, you know, uh, our power, not consciously, it's just the, the insects are attracted to the light and then we feel kind of woozy as if we're being influenced by something otherworldly but we're just actually being influenced by something that's pretty common like electricity, which is again where the idea of influenza or the flu comes from. It comes from influenza, influenza, influence of the stars. That the sun is responsible depending on what part of its cycle it's on, the sun is responsible for what we consider to be a virus, a flu virus. That electricity being introduced not that long ago, really, just a little over 100 years, electricity being introduced in a wide-scale pattern Cause outbreaks of uh, flu-like symptoms, and that's precisely what we call influence, influence of the stars, influence of the electrical components around us. Now, in the article, again, this is insects as unidentified flying objects. Philip S. Callahan and R.W. Mankin, R.W. Mankin worked under a cooperative agreement with the USDA as a laboratory technologist from the University of Florida, and this is precisely where episode 12, season three of the X-Files, got their idea for this this uh, this Bambi character who was studying uh, cockroaches and insects and uh, applying an electrical field to them and saying that because of their exoskeleton and their body fluid, they are a conductor of electricity and they can actually I mean, there's these dis- these brush discharges. Of, uh, of what we call St. Elmo's fire. So here's what the researchers said back in 1978. This is the Journal of Applied Optics. Since the insect exoskeleton is a dielectric surrounding a conducting medium, the insect body fluid, St. Elmo's fire is one very likely possibility. The physics of brush discharge allows one to treat each insect as a small point of focusing mechanism for the discharge as in the case for the tip of a church steeple or a tip of a ship mast we decided to test the possibility in the laboratory this is precisely I'll play it again for you the discussion that this Bambi character and Fox Mulder are having in the X-Files. Since
3: an insect's exoskeleton is a dielectric surrounding the conductive medium of its body fluid when introduced into an electrical field the brush discharge will result in a colored flare.
1: what is that supposed to prove?
3: Well, it's my theory that UFOs are actually insect swarms. I don't know if you know anything about UFOs, but all the characteristics of a typical sighting are shared with nocturnal insects swarming through an electrical airfield. The sudden appearance of a color glowing light hovering in the night sky, moving in a non-mechanical manner, possibly humming, creating interference with radio and television signals then suddenly disappearing
1: nocturnal insect swarms it's uh, it's fascinating
2: so this could explain not only unidentified flying objects nocturnal insect swarms changing colors of light different brush discharges depending on the gases in the atmosphere depending on perhaps the composition of the the insect itself Insects that may die because the electrical uh, discharge is too much. That has been shown in the laboratory as well back in the 70s. So this is why some UFOs might break apart and they seem smaller when you see them a second time. Or they seem to shrink suddenly or change their form suddenly. And they fly erratically. Bugs, insects, are also attracted to light. So that's why we have cases of these UFOs hovering over houses or hovering over people's cars. And if the electrical conditions are just right, it may alter your radio, your TV signal. It may alter the electrical components in your vehicle or in your home, causing a blackout, causing the power to fail. This is actually something that was reported in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, with the Mothman sightings as well. Electrical disturbances on the radio. Disturbances in TV broadcasts. Now something else might have been going on there, but electricity, and of course, when you're studying things like gravity and anti-gravity, this becomes a big part of the UFO subject. Especially because insect swarms are reported to hover, just like a flying saucer. You can't hear them make any noise. So what they essentially are is a glowing ball or a glowing disc-like thing with a bulge as they swarm, looking for light they fly toward the light, changing in size, pieces falling off. And whatever those electrical conditions are, they might not only affect your home and your car, they also might affect you. So you feel that you're woozy, you've been you know, drugged or poisoned or something is, is trying to abduct you, but really it's just the electricity, just like your electricity you use on a daily basis, just like the influence of the sun, which is where the word influenza comes from for the flu, body aches, etc. That's caused by electricity. This is, I think, fascinating, and we're going to go into more details of this when we come back from break. Insects as unidentified flying objects, a little bit about the new movie Nope, and cryptozoology as well. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. There's more after this. Stay with us.
0: Listening to the Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from the Secret Teachings.
2: It's the Secret Teachings, one of the homes of the original Super Bowl analysis, airing exclusively five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio.
1: www.thesecretteachings.info. That's where you can read reviews, see pictures, and even order yours today. Are you
0: intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from Talkstream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, including the network you're listening to right now. The Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence, David has no evidence.
1: This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable.
2: Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A
1: collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear,
2: loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. So the idea was proposed in the 1970s that some UFOs might actually be nocturnal swarms of insects. This also leads us to ask additional questions about the UFO subject, even about USOs, as per whether or not they are actually animals or creatures in and of themselves. Not a spaceship filled with chupacabras, but the ship itself is actually alive. It's a creature. This idea was proposed partly in the Utah UFO display, a biologist report published by a plant physiologist and director of the plant science department at the University of Utah in 1974, Frank B. Salisbury. You can still find this book online. It's sort of hard to get a cheap copy. But four years after he published that book, suggesting that a number of UFO sightings in Utah were actually nocturnal insects, November of 1978, researchers from the USDA published a report called Insects as Unidentified Flying Objects. They took his theories and they put them to the test in a laboratory. In the report, Philip S. Callahan and R.W. Mankin, a laboratory technologist from the University of Florida who was commissioned by the USDA, conducted an experiment on five species of insects with a large electric field. The experiment found, quote, Each of the insects stimulated in this manner emitted visible glows of various colors of black light. The Scientists then postulated that the 1965 through 1968, roughly that period of time, UFO display in Utah was a result of nocturnal insects that had infested the area. The idea was also discussed in The X-Files, Season 3, Episode 12. And there's an alluding to the concept in the new movie, Nope, as well. Although the story isn't based around an insect swarm, the idea is very similar. And it might not be exactly what you think. Here's a clip from The X-Files, Season 3, Episode 12. Fox Mulder speaking with a scientist, I believe she worked with the USDA uh, named Bambi, and she's providing her theory, which is actually based on the works of... Philip S. Callahan, R. W. Mankin, and Frank B. Salisbury, to name a few of the the major players. Here's a clip of that episode.
3: Since an insect's exoskeleton is a dielectric surrounding the conductive medium of its body fluid, when introduced into an electrical field, a brush discharge will result in a colored flare.
1: What is that supposed to prove?
3: It's my theory that UFOs are actually insect swarms. I don't know if you know anything about UFOs, but all the characteristics of a typical sighting are shared with nocturnal insects swarming through an electrical airfield. The sudden appearance of a color glowing light hovering in the night sky, moving in a non-mechanical manner, possibly humming, creating interference with radio and television signals, then suddenly disappearing.
1: Nocturnal insect swarms. It's, uh, It's fascinating.
2: Now we could add to that also that Electrical fields also can make us feel woozy, make us feel achy, or like something's wrong with our body. For a few hundred years, scientists believed this was the common practice, sort of a fringe theory, but a common belief, that solar activity, and this has been well-documented since then in the late 20th into the 21st century, solar activity, how the sun interacts with planet Earth and and, and the surrounding uh, space environment, the sun is actually responsible not only for weather, but also for, not only for our moods as well, along with the moon, but it's also responsible for the way that we feel physically. Certain intense enough discharges from the sun can be directly correlated with cases of influenza throughout human history. Likewise, when electricity was introduced in a widespread manner in the late 1800s, early 1900s, cases of influenza also spiked again. And we had outbreaks of influenza with the introduction of radar and a number of other things. So that implies that electricity, as has been known for a long time, electrical fields, we know can make us feel woozy and achy or even pass out. We know that electricity usage, like the sun before, causes influenza, causes the flu. It's not caused by a particle, I don't believe. I think it's caused by the sun. I think it's caused by electricity. I think it's caused by environmental factors. I know that might be outlandish. I know that might sound it's, sound totally, you know, off the subject of UFOs, but I promise you it's not. In fact, I think it's directly up the UFO alley. Because if electricity can make us feel woozy, achy, or even pass out, distort our our memory, or distort, distort our perception of reality to some extent, cause us to be confused, make us feel sick, and we've known this for a long time. Electricity usage and the sun long before caused influenza. That's why influenza is called influenza. It's called influenza. 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 The influence of uh, the stars. That's where the word comes from. So what this tells us is the classic story of a glowing, hovering, humming craft over a house or car is sometimes, and maybe even more often than not, nothing more than the brush discharge of insect swarms in an electric field, which emits a hum alongside of insects buzzing. As they hover over the lit sources that they're attracted to, the electric fields may disturb radio and television signals and electricity in general. Going back to influenza, that means those electrical fields can also influence us and make us feel weird. So you get a handful of cases of people that are driving... And an object approaches their vehicle and shines a light, perhaps, as that's how they perceive it. Hovering over the vehicle, they're attracted to the light in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Car radio malfunctions. Maybe the car sputters and shuts off. Person is very scared. This object's hovering above them. It's just insects. They can't hear any noise, maybe a low humming sound. And maybe the influence of these, these insects and the electrical discharge and, and the electricity in the air maybe that makes the person pass out. Then they wake up and they've been abducted by aliens and they have missing time. Of course, electricity, just like high-powered magnets, can also alter things like compasses and could alter things like, uh, you know, our watches and our clocks. And if you're disoriented from the electricity, if you're disoriented from the, the, the atmosphere around you and what's happening, maybe you're scared. Maybe you were already scared driving on a dirt road at night by yourself, whatever. All these elements that get, get put together can cause us to feel that we've missed time. Or maybe our clocks actually change, like a compass is altered by magnets. And then the electromagnetic field shifts. We can feel something's weird. Something's off. The clocks change. We've lost a half hour. We've lost four hours now. We passed out because of the intensity of the electrical field. To me, that is honestly as groundbreakingly fascinating as if I was driving and an alien spaceship came over top of my car and and uh, they abducted me. In fact, that isn't even as fascinating anymore because we've seen that so much. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Certainly, I believe that Not every UFO is a swarm of insects, but a lot of the typical characteristics of insect swarms, specifically nocturnal insect swarms, can be absolutely 100% verified as the source of some UFO sightings and UFO abductions. And likewise, when you apply the ayahuasca dimethyltryptamine angle, then some people who produce DMT naturally at high doses in their body, about 2% of the population, compared to the percent of the U.S. or global population who have been abducted by aliens, about 2%, they tend to see the same thing. Machines, uh, gray-like beings, uh, child-like beings, they see reptile-like beings, they see insectoids. But also going back to the usage of ayahuasca, for tens of thousands of years, Shamanistic practices have put people into a state of trance. They've gone through the other world. They've had children in these other worlds, just like alien abductees. They are dismembered and put back together. They have implants in them rocks, crystals, microchips, whatever. And then they are brought back into this world and they are given knowledge on how to save uh, the planet environment or help people. This is precisely what shamans do. So, In reality, the whole idea of UFO abductions and UFO encounters and electrical disturbances, all of this could, I think, more scientifically and more logically be attributed to both the overproduction of DMT in some individuals, not all, or the usage of some substances like DMT or ayahuasca, mixed with nocturnal insect swarms and when you combine these two together you get a much clearer identification point for what those anomalies really are now for those of you saying what about the aircraft that can't keep up with these objects well I'm not saying that fighter jets are chasing down nocturnal insect swarms although I will say that as I've referenced this Schweinfurt Germany report from the U.S. military back in the early 1940s they flew through what looked like a, a glowing disc, but there was no damage done to the craft. And they heard it make contact, but nothing was done to the light and nothing was done to the to the aircraft. Possibly they flew through an insect swarm. And I'm not talking about a few hundred. I'm talking about a few thousand, a few hundred thousand, maybe a few million insects. Glowing with the St. Elmo brush discharge of electricity, which is glowing in different, different lights and a plane flies through it. And there's no damage done to the plane. So it's like, what are these craft? How can you make contact with it? But no damage is done to it. Maybe it's a swarm of insects for that matter. Maybe the famous siege on Los Angeles in the early forties, the battle Los Angeles is nothing more than an insect swarm it would at least explain why thousands of artillery shells fell dud, if you will. They exploded, but they fell dud on the object. Now, I don't necessarily think that's what it was, because you would think that thousands of artillery rounds blowing up in the presence of insects would certainly disrupt them and disturb them, but at least, because this is not my theory, but at least it would explain some of the anomalies around that case in Los Angeles or the Schweinfurt, Germany case, that maybe some of these these objects because we started to see them when pilots got into the sky and, you know, the, what was it, the ME-262 German uh, fighter jet. And when people started to get into the sky and fly around, they started to see these things. Maybe some of the Foo Fighters were actually insect swarms. Not all of them because I'm not saying insect swarms can fly a thousand miles an hour. I'm not saying insect swarms can just totally vanish. But then again... I mean, they can be tracked on radar. And depending on how low they fly, they could go under the radar. So they could vanish from radar. And also, if they're lit up in a dark sky and suddenly the light goes away because the electrical field change, then, well, the insects are still there. But the UFO went away. And that, I think, is is an interesting thing that should be examined. They could easily go under the radar they could easily move out of the electrical field causing the brush discharge and therefore just become a regular swarm of insects and the light goes away. And that would explain why the military has countless reports of chasing objects or looking for objects that are there maybe on radar and then they just disappear or the light goes out. Again, that does not explain how objects can shut down nuclear missiles or how 20 ton nuclear missile silo container tops can be moved uh, 100 yards or something. <laughs> it doesn't explain that stuff. So I'm not saying that UFOs are, are are insects. I'm saying that a lot of these cases certainly could be and, and, and just basic common sense tells you that with the electrical uh, fields present, it could make humans feel as if they've been abducted to pass out. Cars you know they malfunction. Lights in the house go out. Radio TV signals are are interfered with, and it would explain why these objects tend to hover over cars or homes in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night, and where there's lights on because insects are attracted to lights. In fact, Frank B Salisbury in the Utah UFO display, this 1974 book, of which the Applied Optics Journal from November 1st, 1978, with Philip S Callahan and R W Mankin used as a reference point to actually study what Frank Salisbury, the plant physiologist, suggested of the U- uh, Utah UFO sightings in the was back in like the 1960s. Here's one of the witness reports from the book. They ran outside in time to see a large object flat on the bottom with a dome on top hovering over the house, almost appearing to balance on top of the house. Here's another one the light began to change color to a fluorescent blue and settled directly over the truck. So since the insect's exoskeleton is a dielectric surrounding a conducting medium, which is the insect's body fluid, a brush discharge is a very likely possibility. And here one more time is that episode of the X-Files, season three, episode 12, where one of the characters is discussing this. She says it's her theory, but it you know, it's obviously a TV show, but it's based off of something very real, as I've been sharing with you.
3: Since an insect's exoskeleton is a dielectric surrounding the conductive medium of its body fluid, when introduced into an electrical field, a brush discharge will result in a colored flare.
1: What is that supposed to prove?
3: Well, it's my theory that UFOs are actually insect swarms. I don't know if you know anything about UFOs, but all the characteristics of a typical sighting are shared with nocturnal insects swarming through an electrical airfield. The sudden appearance of a color glowing light hovering in the night sky, moving in a non-mechanical manner, possibly humming, creating interference with radio and television signals, then suddenly disappearing.
1: Nocturnal insect swarms. It's it's fascinating.
2: It is fascinating. And I hope that's getting you to think a little bit tonight especially if you've seen the movie nope they're not insects but it presents a similar concept a similar idea it's not exactly what you think it is in the movie so we look at this treatment of the subject back in 1978 insects as unidentified flying objects here's what the researchers did they took five species of test insects for the experiment two separate methods were used to produce the electrical field in one method A Moll Electron high voltage DC power supply produced a potential across a capacitor built with two 20 centimeter to the second power aluminum electrodes separated by an air gap of 1.9 centimeter, which is essentially what this this woman had in the X-Files. They had like a little uh, model of that. And the second method, the test specimen was similarly glued to the tip of a uh, Cinco high intensity, high frequency Tesla coil. Here are the results of the study, and this is interesting because they actually they, they refer to something else in here that is very uh, paranormal, if you will, but it, it explains it in a very scientific way in a laboratory. So all the, the test insects at a certain voltage displayed a brilliant colored flare or flares or brushes of bluish-white light from various external points on their bodies, such as the distal tip of the mandibles, The avipositors, the antenna, and the leg joints. This is like the tip of a of a of a church, the cross at the top or the steeple. We get the St. Elmos Fire or the mast of a ship, for example. The display was continuous from the insects on the Tesla coil and intermittent from the insects on the capacitor. Slowly varying the voltage across the capacitor caused the display from the insect to occur more frequently. Therefore, I would assume if you lowered the, the voltage, you would get it to disappear. So maybe that's why some UFOs just seem to vanish. It goes on in the report in 1978 to say, the flare of colored lights surrounding an insect in a strong electric field is a corona discharge similar to St. Elmo's fire. It is also related to the phenomenon of Carillion photography. Now That, when I read it, also blew my mind because I thought I've interviewed Karelian photographers on the secret teachings before many, many years ago. And this makes a lot of sense. Under the right conditions, with the right type of camera and film, you can get this brush discharge of static electricity from humans just as much as you can get it from insects. And it's not so much that the light around your body represents your mood. It's that whatever gases or chemicals or whatever, whatever's in the atmosphere, whatever pollutants are in the atmosphere, that changes the color around your body. So it's not that Carillion photography is a scam or that it's fake. It's that it's well, it's it's basically photographing something that can be photographed in a laboratory with insects when you apply an electrical charge to them, whether with a Tesla coil continuously or through the, uh, the other method which was using uh, a direct power supply and, uh, and a capacitor with uh, electrodes separated in an air gap with the insect in the middle of it. Now they say the discharge comes from gas molecules that have been excited to release energetic electrons during collisions with an avalanche of electrons. The avalanche is caused by the strong electric field that propels electrons from the pointed exposed surfaces of the insect, so like the antenna and the legs, where forces... Binding the ions to the surface are the weakest. So you get these psh, psh, psh discharges. The predominantly bluish color indicates that most of the radiation is from nitrogen. So if we go back to one of these reports out of Salisbury's book in 1974, it says suddenly this big ball of light about 200 yards away started moving toward me. It looked about three yards in diameter, getting bigger. Orange in color, the light began to change color to a fluorescent blue and settled directly over the truck. So as the thing is moving, different gases in the atmosphere are excited with the electrical, the electrical uh, field and then the discharge is coming off of the insects and if they enter into an area where there's more nitrogen, it starts to shine blue instead. For a corona discharge, they say, to occur, a strong electrical field must be present. The atmosphere produces more than enough voltage under certain weather conditions. That's, I think, a given. A combination of thunderstorms plus a high density of particulate pollution would without a doubt give electric fields far above the necessary uh, uh, components for a corona discharge. Because the intensity of a corona discharge is small, only a fairly large swarm of night flyers would be visible and in fact, this is, uh, this is what we find. There's a case, according to the U.S. Weather Service, just one example, they reference, of spruce budworms that occurred in the clouds, a swarm 64 miles long and 16 miles wide. Talk about an Independence Day Phoenix light size spaceship. <laughs> that's 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 enormous. When I was reading this study from the seventies, I this experiment from the seventies, I did not think that the insect swarms would be that big. But there, there are cases according to the U.S. Weather Service where the swarms are are that big, and I believe that was actually published in Time. I think it was Time Magazine battling the budworm, April twenty eighth of nineteen seventy five. So. Let me let me read you exactly what the scientists from the USDA said. This species of insect, the budworm, was postulated as a possible source of the heavenly lights even before we had any idea that swarms of spruce budworms occurred in clouds 64 miles long and 16 miles wide, as reported by the U.S. Weather Service radar personnel tracking spruce budworms. That's it's kind of incomprehensible how big that is. But you get a giant thing of these budworms. And uh, you're going to get this giant UFO. According to Salisbury in his book in 1974, 88.75% of the UFO sightings occurred between the summer of 1965 and the winter of 1968. Over half the sightings from the period occurred in the fall. Now, the scientists from the USDA contacted Lawrence Stipe of the USDA Forest Service, Ogden, Utah, to see if there were any outbreaks of these insects, uh, 1965-1968, were outbreak years for spruce budworms in the Utah mountains, and this is what they found. The Forest Insect Conditions Report for the Fish Lake and Ashley National Forests in the Uinta Mountains, just north of Roosevelt, where a lot of these sightings took place, said, quote, The spruce budworm continues to infest Douglas fir, white fir, and to a lesser extent, subalpine fir, and Engelman spruce in portions of Beaver River and Thousands Lake Mountain. The infestation, first reported in 1964 and covering upward to uh, 20,000 acres, decreased to 10,000 acres in 1965, continued to drop to an even lower level in 1966, and has maintained this low status through 1967. In other words, those UFO sightings began around the time of 1965, and they ended around the time of 1967 into 1968. In other words, there were two... Uh, Two years of uh, severe infestation of spruce budworms. And then we have these UFO displays in those areas and they start to trickle off. And they show a map of the area of the Uinta Mountains and they show where those sightings took place and how they all took place around those very heavily infected areas. Philip Callahan and R.W. Mankin say the witnesses' descriptions of the erratic flight behavior, blinking colored lights, and humming sounds given off by the Uinta nocturnal lights contribute significantly to our belief that swarms of insects were responsible for certain Uinta Basin UFO displays. Now, this I did not know, but they reference in their study the Condon Report from the U.S. Air Force. And I did not know this, but the U.S. Air Force had 30 Thousand. And I, I cross-referenced this with their, with, their, um, with their reference section. I, I looked up the Condon report, because I wrote this in my book, The Technological Elixir, as well. I have a section on this. And I, I looked at the reference point, and it is the uh, EU Condon Scientific Study of Unidentified Flying Objects, D.S. Gillamore, uh, Dutton, New York, 1969, published. I believe that was the publication year. 30,000 good sighting descriptions stored on tape I don't know if they meant video or recorded, but either way, 30,000 good sighting descriptions stored on tape by the Air Force. And all I've seen is a box of Tic Tacs hovering off the coast. I, I, this is the thing that gets me, is that there are literally, there has to be millions of cases, millions of cases, I mean, at least a few hundred thousand cases. The the Air Force in the 1960s had 30,000 of them. And this is what they call good sightings. Understand, this was like Blue Book time. This is like utterly fascinating. I've used those two words tonight a lot. It's utterly fascinating. That's a lot of good UFO sightings. Some of them might just be insects. So again, this tells us that the classic story of a humming, glowing, hovering object over a house or car is nothing more than the brush discharge of insects that are swarming an electrical field. They are swarming to the middle of the field, therefore you get the bulge in the top of the so-called craft. The electrical field emits a hum alongside of the insects buzzing as they hover over the lit sources of their attraction. The electric field's disturb radio and television signals and electricity in general. The electric field can likewise make us feel woozy, achy, or even pass out. Therefore, just like with the electricity usage in general, the sun was identified as the cause of this before. This could be the source of both alien abductions, feeling like we've been probed and, and prodded, poked, etc., and the cause of influenza or influenza, the influence of the stars. These objects drop under radar. They, well, they drop off radar suddenly, or swarms of insects move out of the electrical field, the gases in the atmosphere change, and you get lights out. And that's why the objects disappear, or whether that's on radar, or they simply vanish from visual sight. They're there, but a lot of this is all usually taking place at night. So this is what's going to happen. These are the nocturnal swarms of the insects. I'm Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings, and I really hope that you enjoy tonight's broadcast. I put a lot of effort and energy into preparing this show as I do Monday through Friday. Nobody does this for me. I do it entirely by myself. I'm honored to be welcomed onto ground zero uh, Clyde and Mike and Rob and Wes and everybody here and Ron. And uh, otherwise I do everything myself. I, 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 and I put it all together for you as an audience and I want to bring you something unique, something different, something that is a, as a, as a, is just a, a different angle, a different perspective. Hope that you enjoy the work that I do here. If you, Want to support us, please subscribe to our archive at thesecretteachings.info. You can access this the show without monetized ads, plus the montages, digital copies of my books, or just buy the book separately. I have a new book coming out. It's all at www.thesecretteachings.info. If you'd like to contact us, rdgable at yahoo.com. That's rdgable at yahoo.com, rdgable at yahoo.com. And as always, stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast.